Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As many of you will know at this point, we release three different types of podcasts. We have our seminar series where we provide opportunities to listen back to some of the most important presentations of past events. We have our 10 minute lesson series in which we aim to educate and inform listeners on particular areas of policy, giving a brief overview in around the 8 to 15 minutes and really hitting on the key points that we think people need to know. And then we have our interview series where we chat to experts on a wide range of policy areas. And this week is one of those. So we are joined by a returning guest, Eddie Darcy. Eddie has a lifetime of youth work under his belt and is currently lecturing in Dundalk IT as part of their Honours Youth Work Programme. He chats to me about the changes he has witnessed over the span of his career. He discusses why youth work is important and his hopes and concerns for the future. We hope you enjoy it. I suppose first thing, thank you, Eddie, for round two, another conversation with your good self, which I'm very much looking forward to. And this time we're going to talk about youth work. And I suppose my questions are big questions and they're things like, what is youth work? Why is it important? Okay, well, I suppose, like for me, youth work was something that I grew up with. You know, I, I was a member of the, the local boys club, which was run by very, very nice people who are members of the Vincent Nepal. And they weren't from our community. They were people working generally in the civil service, often country people, but they gave up their Saturday night to run this club for us boys. And, you know, we loved it. It was our one organised activity during the week. We couldn't get our heads around why they were coming out to our area to look after us, you know. And we had a, well, we always got, a, you know, we always got our hot tea and our biscuits and that. And we said our little prayer as because we knew that's what they wanted, you know. Mm. But it was a great, a great time for us. And I suppose that led me into youth work because as I was hitting the sort of 16, 17 years of age, they were running out of volunteers. You know, it was that stage where, you know, with no lot, you know, volunteers, I think, traditionally come from people coming up to work in the service or work as a teacher in Dublin, be told by their mother, get involved in the Vincent Nepal or the Legion of Mary, it'd be good for you. So I ended up with, with a, a couple of me mates and me two brothers taking on the club at a very young age. And, you know, it became our club, which was great and it was mm-hmm. great the way it was. But it was, it, it led me into this area of, of, called youth work. And obviously I met, I realised that there were full-time youth workers and there were others, you know. So I ended up working as a part-time youth worker at a very young age while I was studying in college and then ended up going into it full-time in the, in the 1980s because I qualified as a teacher and there were no jobs. So I was offered a job as a youth worker. So that's my background in it. And I always appreciated how much I got out of it as a youngster, you know. Um, and I do, think the, I do think youth work has changed considerably in the last 50 years. Like, you know, to, when I entered youth work as a youngster, it was very much about... These, you know, young people are li- liable to get into trouble. Young people need support from good adults. You know, it, young people need discipline. So if we can set up a club and these boys come to the club, they learn how to behave and not to curse. And they'll, you know, they'll remain maybe good Christians and they won't get into tr- They won't be drinking and getting into trouble. And particularly our club, because it was a Saturday night club, was very much set up. So you have something to do on a Saturday night other than go down the back of the fields and be drinking and that, you know. So there was that model of good people, felt they could be good role models and good people felt that they it was important that young people were taught discipline to behave and not in a bad way there was mm-hmm. nothing bad about it. it and the activities were purely activities it's traditional model youth work and not, you know it was about t- t- giving young people a sense of discipline and keeping young people occupied 
obviously then the next the next period very very quickly was this idea around community development and it should be people from their own community providing activities for their own kids and i think the, the, the model merged then into a model where it was recognized that young people as teenagers and other going through adolescence need support and young people need individual support at times because maybe they're facing individual problems so the, the the that third model grew which was very much around personal development so youth work became about personal development very much from the perspective that yes young people do experience difficulties adolescents can be a difficult time mm-hmm. and if we can offer them support during that period of time they become better adults that eventually merged then into the, the final the one of the more fi- the models which a lot, I think a lot of people sort of identify with now well definitely full-time youth workers identify with now which is that youth workers it's not a it's not enough to help individual young people overcome obstacles or barriers they face in reaching their developments what's more important is enabling uh, i suppose enabling those young people and informing those young people about the barriers they face and uh, i suppose involving them in challenging those barriers but also challenging those barriers as a youth worker yourself because obviously you're you're on the ground, you see the difficulties young people face, so you have a responsibility to challenge those difficulties. Whether the difficulties are to do with discrimination, or to do with racism, or to do with poverty, or to do with exclusion, or to do with, you know, marginalization, it doesn't matter. You know, there are obstacles in the way young people that are reducing their, opp- their opportunities and reducing the chance that they're reading, reaching their potential. Youth work is about challenging that. And that's sort of the model that I've always advocated for myself, you know, and I've always tried to operate at the two levels on the ground, working with young people facing difficulties, but also at a more national level, raising those issues and challenging, you know, at a, at a governmental level, challenging the issues that the young people we work with are facing on an everyday basis. Because otherwise, the challenges are always going to be there. The obstacles are always going to be there and the inequalities will be just perpetuated forever, yeah. you know. So I think that's the, you know, people, anyone coming at training or studying as a full-time youth worker would be very much aware of the four models of youth work. And 90% of the students I work with will, will sort of identify very, very clearly with this critical social education model. Um, however, you know, there are difficulties, difficulties practicing that model, Suzanne, you know, so they may all say that's the model we'd love to be involved in, but we really don't have time because we're so busy doing A, B, C and D. And A, B, C, and D often is trying to engage with marginalised young people and the skills they need to exercise to do that. Maybe facing the challenges around managing behaviour, but also maybe facing the challenges of being directed towards reaching other outcomes. Because obviously, youth work in Ireland is funded by and large by the state. And youth workers, the, the, only, the only youth work that is funded directly by the state in terms of paying youth workers to work directly with young people is very much centred on young people that the state see as either problems or young people having problems. So they see youth worker as a bit of panacea towards reaching out to these young people and solving their problems because otherwise they're going to continue to be a problem to the state and maybe cost the state a lot of money. And I suppose, unfortunately, I have to take some responsibility for some of that because I would have been, I would have been, when I was working in Nealstown in the, I worked in Nealstown and West Dublin for maybe, 33 years. So I, I knew the community really, really well. And I had a great time there. I loved every minute of it. Really loved every minute of it. It was a fantastic community to work in. But in, in the early 90s, when there was a difficulty with joyriding, in, in, in that new, it was a new community at the time, an emerging community with very little resources. You know, we did develop a particular approach to try and deal with that. And that approach was quite successful. And suddenly there was a lot of interest in it. And um, 
we had, I had initially been funded by to by the Gardaí in from the point of view of you know you're the only one that knows all these young people. Can you stop them joyriding? Because we can't. And I mean, because the the because the program worked well, it became it became a model for what's called the Gardaí Youth Diversion Program. And there's now a hundred or so of them, and employing maybe three hundred youth workers. But I mean, obviously, from the Department of Justice point of view, they're funding that program from the point of view of stopping young people becoming criminalized or continuing to be criminalized from an early age. So they, you know, that's that's the outcome they're really, really interested in. Yeah. And obviously youth workers work on those programs because youth workers have the skills and have the reputation to be able to build a relationship with those young people and hopefully can divert them away. I suppose we're then trying to balance the outcome that our funder wants and the outcome that we want, which is that all those young people have potential, all those young people have strengths as well as weaknesses, and all those young people deserve opportunities to do well in life. So for me, it's never about just stopping somebody continuing to offend or letting their offending become, become worse and worse and worse and ending up in prison. For me, it's always about, no, it's about building a positive lifestyle and this young person has huge potential and I'm not prepared to stop just when they stop offending. I want to continue to work with them so they, so they, have, they have the opportunities that other kids who are better off have, you know? So, that, you know, so at the moment, youth work from the funders' point of view is very much centred on stopping kids taking drugs, stopping kids leaving school, stopping kids becoming criminalised, you know, st stopping kids being involved in complete inappropriate behaviours, whatever, whatever they are. So it's very much about a negative perception of, 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 the, of young people and we have to stop them getting, getting worse. So we have school completion projects to stop children falling out in school. We have guarded diversion projects to stop young people becoming more criminalised. We have drug programs stop young people taking more and more drugs or beginning to take drugs. So whereas I suppose pure youth worker a pure pure youth work should be about seeing young people as 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 potential of them and building their resilience. Now obviously those outcomes can be achieved anyway, but we need to go further than that. I know what you mean. So it's it's not just about keeping a lid on certain no. communities. It should be about I think you mentioned earlier on like resilience, like making making young adults resilient, giving them skills, but that every euro invested in youth work will ultimately result in savings to the state of two euro 22. But sometimes you have to look at it that it's not a cost, it is an investment. You're investing in, in each other, invest in citizens being able to reach their full potential is always a good thing, but that maybe it shouldn't, the focus shouldn't be on the marginalised or the disadvantaged yeah, yeah. in particular that, you know, youth work, should be an open door to anybody. I'd, I'd be very strongly of that opinion, Suzanne, as well. And I think the figure you mentioned about for every euro invested is saving the state maybe three euros in terms of young people, not costing the state money going mm -hmm. forward. But in fact, it's worth a hell of a lot more than that because yeah. much of youth work provision in Ireland is provided by volunteers. We're doing a free of charge. So in fact, you know, they, and that, that end of youth work gets very, very little statutory financial support. But Every weekend or every week, there are literally thousands of volunteers running youth clubs or young men's groups or young women's groups or children's groups. You know, pure, or, or you, they're in the uniformed organisation, running the scouts and the clubs. Thousands of them every year, give, providing worthwhile activity for young people. So, I mean, for me, I'm not sure if that's really, really valued by the state. And uh, yeah. I am concerned that, particularly with our education system, becoming more and more focused on academic achievements that the space for a broader for broader education is disappearing. And I see youth work as really being very, should be involved more and more in that. 
So, I mean, for me, youth work should be a process that every young person should have access to. And they should have access to good quality youth work, not just an opportunity to go down to the parish hall and play table tennis or play pool, but involved, you know, involved in a much, much broader development education type approach, which is, which is enabling them to explore issues that they face or their community faces here in Ireland or that other communities in Ireland face, but also yeah, giving them an opportunity to explore some of the international questions that are out there, whether that's to do with climate change or to do with migrants or to do with, you know, unemployment or to do with poverty or why, why does nobody in my block of flats ever go to college? Looking at, looking at those issues. And I think that's really, really important because it is getting young people to think about inequality and to think about their own situation. I'm talking about both young people who have privilege and young people who don't have privilege because I think if we're going to create a better society, those questions need to be asked of everybody. And there are, I could list a lot of really good examples of, of small youth projects doing really, really well and helping young people explore those issues. I was uh, one of the judges on the Garda Youth Awards last year. And um, the Garda Youth Awards are nothing to do with young people in trouble. They're just, they're just rewarding young people who contribute either individually or as a group to their community. And one of the projects that really influenced me and really impressed me was a group coming from Granard where the leaders try to give the young people a fairly short, sharp experience of what it would like to be um, a refugee. And it was a really good piece of youth work because it, the, the youngsters thought they were heading off for a nice weekend in a lovely hostel and brought, it there, brought their hair dryers and their laptops and their mobile phones. And then suddenly they were stopped and made get off the bus and told they had to, go, they had to leave, only take what they could carry and, and they had to live under canvas just for the night. And they suddenly realised that no electricity should be can't use my phone, can't plug in my hairdryer, can't plug in my curling tongs, you know, and they realised that those situations, you, you should be taking warm clothes and blankets and water, you know, but it was a real, it got those kids really thinking about, oh, what is it like to be thrown out of your home? What is it like to be put in a fearful situation? A, re, a fantastic learning experience, you know, for those kids. And those kids went back to their town and welcomed in Syrian families and set up a programme to ensure that the Syrian children moved into their area were welcomed. I just think that was a fantastic experience for the young, the teenagers involved, but it also led to them being involved in a, in a piece of real action, which was welcoming in refugees from a war-torn, a war-torn country. Now you compare that to maybe other towns yeah. where you know there were pickets against families coming in. Mm-hmm. I think the teenagers in that town were very influential in the whole town welcoming those those youngsters in. Yeah. I could maybe list a whole range of other experience yeah. of projects I'm familiar with in the southwest inner city. From two communities that are really struggle in terms of marginalisation and um, and poverty, and you know, teenagers from you know Bluebell and teenagers from the Fatima area went on an exchange with young people in the Lebanon, young people who are Palestinian refugees. Now that that is a fantastic learning opportunity, yeah. you know. And obviously they could identify their marginalisation within their own community, but they're seeing it on a completely different scale in um in in, in the Lebanon. A piece of very, very brave youth work because you are bringing young people into a country that's extremely, uh, you know, chaotic. Another youth project I'm aware of in in Poppentry, young people from that youth project travelled to Haiti after the earthquake there a number of years ago. And that that had not only did it have an impact on the small group of young people who travelled, but the conversations they had with other young people when they came back, absolutely wonderful piece of youth work, you know. So for me, Yes, there are many examples of fantastic youth work out there, but the trouble is too few young people have opportunities to, in, to engage in real high quality youth work mm. because of the lack of investment in yeah. it. You know? Even that piece about privilege, 
I have a teenage son in secondary school and they did a piece on privilege in the classroom. So they all had to line up against the back wall and they each took a step forward. Yeah, the privilege walk, yeah. yeah, yeah I've, yeah, seen, so I've so seen a, a little around do it in yeah, Trinity College, really good. Yeah, one, so know. questions like, you know, is, is there a parent at home to help with homework? Do you have to look after siblings? And I think my child got quite close to the top of the, <laughs> the, top of the room. That opened up that conversation yeah. and a realisation that, you know, he's white, he's Western, and yeah. his parents are both native English speakers. Sure, yeah. His, his, mother, his mother's highly educated, which is a key factor, you know, <laughs> really is, well, you know. Yeah, because in the development of language skills, I think, yeah. as well, yeah. like the, more, the more you talk to your little kid, um, the, the, you know, just even in terms of the amount of words that they have and stuff like that. But, it, you know, it, it isn't just about an awareness of how, how little privilege I have. It has to be an awareness of how privileged I am yeah. and how that impacts as well. So as you said, these can't just be for kids who are getting stopped by the guards all the time or the kids who can't sit still in class. It does have to be, you have to get everybody in the same room, exactly in that, Eddie, as you said, for people who are marginalised within their own communities, it was an eye-opener to go to other communities to see different types of discrimination and different yeah. types of poverty yeah. so that you have... I mean, I'm not sort of suggesting that, you know, we, we should all be kind of using each other like a, a human zoo. <laughs> it's yeah. not quite that, but just an awareness that my life isn't the norm, your life isn't the norm, everybody's life isn't, isn't everybody else's life and that people are struggling with different things in different places at different times. And, and the earlier you're aware of that, I think, the better. Yeah, I, I think youth work, youth work at its best will give young people those experiences. For, mm. for me, I've all, I always see youth work as giving young people a series of increasingly challenging experiences and then opportunities to discuss those experiences afterwards. Now, whether the experience is their first time they go to a theatre and see a play, and if that's a new experience, that's great. And we have the conversation in the minibus on the way home. Or if it's, if it's a hike up the Hellfire Club, and what was that like for you? But I mean, obviously... For me, if we should be going up a up a steep hill with our youth work in terms of the challenges we give young people, and for me, Jenny, ending up with a European exchange is a really good way at the end of working, you know, working towards giving young people real, genuine experiences and not holidays, but yeah. you know, there has to be challenges in it. Another group who did well in the Garda Youth Awards last year had travelled to, to to Zambia and spent a couple of weeks in a that group. For them, they lived in the in the village. They ate the local people's food, and had an. I remember speaking to them afterwards. It had an enormous impact on them. Like they literally gave away everything they had with them because they were so impacted by how much wealth they had, and they didn't even think about it compared to local group. Now, I would say that was a real genuine experience because sometimes we organise experiences that are it gives young people an insight but that that was a really good one they didn't stay in a hotel they didn't they stayed in the village and mm. I, they were really 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 impacted by it you know and um hope to go back again you know well probably didn't go last year because of covid but uh, you know we're, we're committed to i suppose not only the experience but but also talking to other young people in Ireland about their experience, what it was really, really like, and how, how privileged and wealthy we are over here in that, you know? Yes. So the youth work has huge potential in terms of that, that broad social education agenda, the equality agenda, social justice agenda. And I think young people are up for that. I'm, I, think, I think young people, I mean, we are beginning to associate climate change and the climate change campaigns with young people yeah. because of young Greta over in Sweden. And I know that we had the strikes here. And yes, fair enough. 
some young people will take an opportunity to bunk off school on a Friday. I went into town to see the thousands of young people who put effort into their placards and had travelled into the city you know, on the protests. And I think, you know, that, that should have been actually, you know, we should have actually applauded that mm. and schools should have facilitated it rather than be, be critical of it. And mm. I, I must say I was quite annoyed with some of the criticism I heard from adults about it, you know. Yeah. That uh, you know who are who do these young people think they are telling us how to run the country? It's it's their future. It's their it's their yeah, planet. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I, I, I'm always kind of wary of using they for anything. You know, kind of if you talk about kind of older people and pensioners, and I'm kind of going, that's not they. That's me. Do you know what I mean? That will yeah. be me sooner than I'm quite prepared to admit. And when you talk about young people, we forget we were ever young. Yeah. There, there can be a lot of stereotypes about what young people are and what young people want and you're kind of going but sure that's us do you know what I mean what what would we have done in the same situation and I appreciate as you said like when you look back over the last 50 years Dublin especially but most of the countries I mean I think Galway City I think is the most ethnically diverse city in in the country it's a very different space now as well yeah. and and a, and a raising awareness of all different types of diversity as you said on top of traditionally marginalised community like that there's a challenge there as well isn't there yeah 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 and I think the diversity thing is something that young people feel quite strongly about but again they do need to be challenged as well because mm. you know a lot of young people say oh I'm not racist and like there's no I don't know when that is racist but when you really really drill down into it and say well what is racism mm. you know I always say to the student like I challenge them quite a bit around around their views, not because I think they're, in, they're, they're necessarily inherently racist, or anything, but because I just don't think they're taught enough about some of the subjects. Mm. People who are racist aren't necessarily out on the street with placards giving out about, or beating up people because of their colour, mm. but I mean, it's, it's, it can be much more subtle than that. So I really, really push them to think about how they feel about things, you know? Mm. And I think that's part of what youth work, because as youth workers, that's what I want them to do. Mm. I said, like, when you, when you look at your local youth centre, is there an entrance sign in Arabic? You know, are there, are there, you know, are the citizen traveller posters in the in the fr- front entrance so young travellers know? Well, actually, that's a place we'll go into. I always talk about, you know, you're, you, go, you go away on holidays and you're in Germany and you want to go somewhere to have a, a drink and you look out for a, a, a pub that might have a harp outside it or in a Guinness sign or an Irish yeah. M and you go in there because you feel so comfortable and you know yeah. you're going to be welcome. Why aren't? Why don't we give those signals out and say in terms of a youth centre? How would a young Syrian migrant know that he or she was welcome to the youth centre if we don't have any outward signs? So saying we're open to everybody for me isn't enough. It's about what effort do we make to reach out to those who have the greatest difficulty coming in our front door? You know. So I do think challenging ourselves as youth workers is something we need to do all the time. Yeah. Because Ireland is becoming more and more and more diverse all the time. We absolutely need to be, as you said, an awareness of what that actually means from maybe that position of privilege as well. You know, yeah, that, yeah. that you're not aware of, but sure, the door is open and we have a thing in the newsletter and we have this, you know, it's read out on, you know, it's read out at mass or whatever on a yeah. Sunday. And they're kind of going, what about the people who don't go to the library, don't go to the doctor's surgery? Maybe English isn't a first language. So it was just a kind of an awareness of, of how how you can reach out to young people and how how to actually engage with young people. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really important point. Yeah. So I do think obviously youth workers have a responsibility to drill into that and challenge it. Like there's a huge difference, as you know, Suzanne, between 
tolerance, tolerating something mm. and welcoming something, mm. you know, and there, that, there, is a, there is a big difference, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, you know, it's very, very clear for us as youth workers that we have a responsibility to challenge any form of discrimination and we should be doing that actively. And that makes you the least popular person in your village, unfortunately, that's the way it is because that's what we're about. You know, we, yeah. we need to show that leadership to the young people that we work with and support them because I, I do think a lot of young people feel quite strongly about, about this sort of stuff, yeah. you know. In the space of that time, within the space of 50 years, the conversation, unless we constantly update our language and, and, and our worldview, as you said, tolerating and awareness of it and tolerating it isn't enough. It has to be much more welcoming. It has to be much more open. Yeah. It has to be much more inclusive. But I, I have, I'm, I'm curious as well about, about the, the impact of COVID. Yeah, I think like COVID was a very difficult time for youth work. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I was obviously CEO of this project at the time and we were a relatively small youth work organisation working in, in the southwest inner city. And like obviously we felt we had a responsibility to, to reach out to the young people we were supporting and to continue to do that. We found that after the first week or two, you know, ringing somebody saying how you are really yeah. wasn't enough. And even the Zoom calls. Yes, some people responded, but, but many others didn't. And also you have to know whether people have had the actual physical resources in terms of the community we were working. Did they have laptops? Did they have iPhones? You know, so we, I suppose ourselves and maybe and some other youth organizations definitely look to put feet back on the street. In other words, we need to be on the street. We couldn't have people in buildings. We couldn't meet people in groups, but we could knock on their front door and talk to them in the front garden. We could knock around a block of flats and talk to them in the courtyards, you know, um, and that, that's what we did. And in some ways, that wasn't a bad thing because it did put a lot of youth workers back on the street doing very, very basic street youth work. And a lot of them have continued that. But then for obviously for, for other young people or, and for other youth organisations, that just wasn't possible. So many young people have lost out on two years of support. Like the local scout troop couldn't meet for two years. Local girl guides troop couldn't meet for two years, you know, because you couldn't have young people in, in, indoors and that, you know. But I all, for us, it also brought home an issue around equality as well. I mean... Many of the flats now in the inner city, they're tiny, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, you might have one one sort of sitting room and then a couple of small bedrooms and an absolutely tiny kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like if, if there are four or five teenagers living in that flat, there is literally no space mm-hmm. and they don't have gardens. So it's it's OK for people to say, OK, you can socialize in your garden. You can have a few friends over in your garden or it's important that you're out in fresh air the whole time. If you don't have any private outdoor space, well, that's an impossibility. So not everybody has the luxury of private outdoor space. You know? So, you know, I think fairly early on, you know, a lot of youngsters and a lot of children quickly began to use more public outdoor space, mm. which was, you know, in a, and I think once they were they stayed within the flat complexes, there wasn't too much said about it. But I mean, we, we felt we need to be in that space as well, you know. But I know structured activities and structured programs really, really struggles. And I think a lot of young people lost out because of that. And also young people that were struggling with the education system because of the fact that it was online. And there would have been quite a few young people who struggled with that. They've lost out on that. And I think youth workers, it's only just beginning to pick up the pieces around that. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the youngsters who haven't gone back to school. Those who should be in fifth year now or should be in sixth year now or, or didn't do their junior search two years ago because they just lost touch with the school. There's a huge amount of picking up to be done now to ensure those young people get some sort of support and get find some way back into the education system, you know. And like I mean, the 
formal academic requirements for employment haven't changed. And I don't know whether there should be a bit more flexibility to, to cope with the groups maybe who didn't achieve. I know those who did their leave and cert were given a huge amount of flexibility in terms of how they did it mm-hmm. and in terms of how they, were, how they were marked. But what about the cohort who didn't submit anything mm-hmm. and couldn't submit anything? And what about the cohort who actually didn't even do their junior cert and have dropped out, yeah. you know? Are they have they lost out forever now? They're like their chances of getting good quality employment. That's good. They're really, really going to struggle, you know, unless we can get back them into back into some forming of training and education, you know. So I worry about I worry about that cohort, and it's not a tiny cohort, you know. But that's the thing in that other report that I was cutting bits and pieces out of. Um, it says here the report finds the proportion of young Irish people who, at the least, not in employment, education, or training, is amongst the highest in the EU, but that Ireland has the highest proportion of involvement in youth clubs or organisations. But as you said, that's where those kids are getting hopefully picked up and that's where they're getting the supports. And I mean, education is linked with access to employment. Education is linked with lifelong employment. Education then is linked with kind of poverty levels and and all of that. So, I mean, if, you know, at 15 with no junior cert, you'll get a job doing something, do you know what I mean? But when you're 55 with no junior cert. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Suzanne. And like one of the projects, so this project has is a small little wood turning workshop. Mm-hmm. And we do, we, we take in young people who don't have a junior cert and have dropped out of school fairly early. And some of them are fairly, fairly talented. And some mm-hmm. of them are fairly, are, are fact gifted with their hands. Yeah. Now, they come in, they come in thinking they're becoming wood, wood turners and they do learn how to wood turn and some of them are fairly good at it. But really we're concentrating more on the soft skills, getting in every day, being able to take instruction, being able to follow up you know, be able to follow follow through an order, you know, be able to go out and sell whatever we produce and that, you know, and some of them have done fairly well. But I do have issues with the fact that many of them can't become apprentices because they don't have a junior cert. And because they've had such bad experiences of formal education system, you know, getting them to go back to formal education is a big no-no for many of them. And I really can't get my head around an education system where, you know, as an adult learner 23, you could actually go to university without having done your leaving cert because mm-hmm. you're now a mature learner. Yeah. But as a, a mature, as an adult of 20 or 21 or 23, you can't become an apprentice chippy, even though you've got good life experience in the last five years because you don't have a junior cert. Now, I really don't, I can't get my head around that. You know, I really can't because yeah. surely the stuff you learn on your junior cert is it, it, to a large extent irrelevant to becoming a good chippy or or a good plumber or whatever you know so there's no whereas we have this idea that yes it's really good for people to be able to go to back to education that and, and i'm fully in favor of the mature student mm. process i don't, can't understand why it doesn't work for for, for certain okay. categories of people you know yeah. so these young men could actually go on and do a bachelor's of arts or become or be, you know do a do a h dip and become a teacher mm. but they can't become a chippy or they can't become a plumber you know so okay. i I just think that we need to have a bit more flexibility and a bit more leeway, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's going back and having a look at that. Well, it's to do with doing away with some of these formal academic requirements mm-hmm. that are not particularly relevant to the particular trade that they're going into. Yeah, because as you said, it's, it's about, I think a lot, a lot of, I suppose a lot of it is about learning how to learn. That's a lot of education system yeah. is, is learning yeah. how to learn. Yeah, and I fully accept the fact that you need to be able to do basic maths and you yeah. need to be able to measure and you need to be able to, these lads can do all that. Yeah. You know, you say to them, OK, an order in for a set of bowls, the bowls have to be a certain diameter. Certain they understand all that. They can do that. They're, OK, but they might necessarily have done algebra and, ge- and geometry in yeah. their junior cert. But 
how, how relevant is a, is a lot of that, you know. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not knocking the trades. And I'm not no. knocking. I, ju I just believe that there needs to be more flexible pathways yeah. for those that haven't done well in the formal yeah. education system. And as you say, with the cohort who have struggled now for the last two years because of COVID, mm. we can't be denying them any opportunities because of because what happened to their formal education system. No. And I do think youth work will be asked to pick a lot of them up, but I have no difficulty with that. That's part of our job. But I, I don't want it to be additional barriers placed in those young people's ways. Yeah, I know what you mean. And again, that report there says that it's, I think it's about 383,000 young people benefit from programmes and, you know, from being involved in youth work. I mean, that's a sizable chunk of young people yeah. um, that are getting, as you said, what, what, whatever they need. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes like you're not even, you don't even have a pre, there's no preconception of what, well, young people need this or young people need that. It's about meeting people where they are and then trying to figure out, as you yeah. said, and that flexibility as well must be must be key when it comes to working with people as individuals. Yeah. But I mean, unfortunately for a lot of youth workers is it's sitting down with young people and, you know, we, we are recognising the statutory barriers that are placed in their ways. And much of our energy is actually used up and helping young people overcome barriers that shouldn't be there in the first place okay. you know so you know the challenge of supporting a young person from a fairly marginalized community to access third level education is enormous because it's the system the education the formal education system is so unequal you know and i mean it's a you know for me it's not necessarily about throwing more and more resources into marginalized communities which i think should happen anyway but it's try it should, we should be making the system more equal anyway you know because we are constantly trying to overcome uh, in, in, uh, you know there always seems to be another barrier and another barrier and another barrier you know and you know we a huge amount of energy is expended in trying to overcome those barriers and that's what you professional you talk is about and you know I, I accept that's what the challenge of it is but I would like to see some of those big obstacles removed. So your your hopes maybe for for the next fifty years, or what would you like to what would you like to see change? Okay, for me, one I would like there to be recognition of the fact that youth work, whether it's provided by volunteers or followed by professionals, is a really positive uh, learning opportunity for young people, and we should be looking to provide as much access to good quality youth work as possible. And maybe to improve the quality of some of the voluntary youth work that's out there anyway. Let's see, can we make more educational, more developmental? But to do that, youth organisations need funding in terms of the training and support they give volunteers. The second thing then would be, I would hope that professional youth worker doesn't become over-identified only with problem kids. Yeah. That we need to bridge that gap between, you know, between broad-based youth work and very, very specific targeted youth work. Mm -hmm. And for me, the ideal model would have been a model that I operated in, in, in Neilstown, and I know a lot of other youth projects try to operate as well, where the, where the specialized target groups are actually immersed in a more broad stream project. Mm -hmm. So that the youth center will have its youth theater for kids interested in theater, it'll have its dance classes, it'll have its young women's groups. It'll also have its guarded diversion project, but it'll be anonymous within the broader thing. So young people that aren't necessarily further labeled because they're attending a Garda project or they're attending a drugs project. For me, ideally, they should be operating out of a broad-based service in which young people can actually move into different groups, but also that we eliminate the damaging impact of, of labelling. So, I mean, my fear would be that the, the local youth service, professional youth service, would be the place where kids, the only kids that go there are kids with serious problems. And that, because I think that will have an impact both in terms of getting those kids to attend, but also have an impact in terms of those kids identifying themselves as 
in some way as deviant. Mm. You know, so I am really concerned about that because so much of the funding has gone in that direction. Okay. And I mean, I know why it's gone there. It's gone there because many of the, the statutory side, particularly the Department of Justice, which has been very good in terms of its funding, I recognise that youth workers have a unique relationship with young people and can get young people to come along and get involved in the programme purely on a voluntary basis, which is a wonderful thing and keeps the power with the young person. They can leave when they like. You know, there's no punishment involved in leaving a new project. But I mean, my concern would be we will lose the magic of that. We will lose the ability to attract young people in. We will lose the, ability, lose the trust in relationship we have, not only with young people, but with parents, families and communities. That we will lose that because we become over-identified with... Um, KPIs. With a justice or drugs support yeah. system. You know, in yeah. other words, that's not really a youth project. That's mm -hmm. a drugs project. That's a drug project. Or that's a, that's a, a justice project. You know? So I'm terrified for the future generation youth workers mm -hmm. that we will lose that. And we will do... We, like, have, being able to go into a, youth, a, a community with a big label on the back of your, your, back of your hoodie as a youth worker, mm -hmm. that's, that's a great label to carry in there. Because everybody recognises the term as a positive term, something good, something nice. And, uh, you know, youth workers are people that you can trust. They're not like probation officers or social workers or teachers because they can all punish us in some way. So youth workers are people you can trust because they're on our side of the fence. It, that's a fantastic label to have. It makes our work so easy because pe people want your support. People want to engage with you, you know. If, if you're good, they do. They really do. So we, you, once you establish yourself in a community for two or three years and people, people recognise that you're a trustworthy person, you'll have absolutely no difficulty recruiting young people into your programmes. You'll have no difficulty getting young people to engage with you. But I'm terrified we will lose the positive image of youth work in communities because we become over-identified with agencies or start, as, a, as an agency that only works with young people that are in the eyes of the state deviants, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I suppose all you can do is keep doing what you do, Eddie. And, and yeah, so, so I like that bridge between the, that mm -hmm. vo volunteerism and the, 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 the local youth club yeah. and professional youth. I want that bridge to be maintained. I, I actually want that bridge to be, the, the, the two components become become one and become immersed, you know? And I do think there needs to be continuous investment in high quality buildings. And, you know, so because young people do need space to yeah. be in. And uh, society tends to push young people out of public space because I think society in general is afraid of young people. Mm -hmm. That's something we have to get over. Mm -hmm. We're afraid of them because they can be noisy, they, they could be aggressive, or because they're young people. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you saw a group of, you know, elderly gentlemen sitting outside the pub chatting and having a smoke, you won't mm -hmm. cross the road to go by them. No. But if there's a group of 15, 16 year old teenagers hanging around the street corner, yeah. there'll be many adults who will cross the street so they don't have to walk right beside because they're afraid of something they might say or something they might do there was a fantastic ad i used to use as part of my training in um on television it was actually an insurance ad but you didn't know the, the ad shows a woman struggling with her messages to go out to her car and two young people walk two or three young people walking down the street towards her and you see her purse dropping out of out of her the box she's carrying her groceries in and you see a young person reaching down you know to, to grab it and then the ad stops you know and everyone is presumed the youngster is robbing the money, you know, mm. and the ad is going to be about be pretty careful how you carry your purse. But in fact, when the ad continues, you see the young person handing her back the purse, you know, yeah. and the ad was something about, you know, life is not always what it seems to be. Now, the ad was nothing to do with yes, 
yeah. to robbing them. But I just thought it was a great ad because the presumption was the youngster was going yeah. to rob yeah. us. You know? so, we need uh, to avoid the, We have that in our own head at times. We mm. do see young people, society sees young people as a bit of a threat and a bit of a threat to be controlled. But I think we should be seeing them as an opportunity mm. and, the, and the future, you know, yeah. and promoting them. But, it, but obviously they need support and they need to be challenged as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Eddie. That's fabulous. I think that's, again, I, I always like to end on a high note if I can. Um, Good. We, we were on a hopeful note, I think. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it useful. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts, conversations that you'd like us to have, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.